0: Hey guys, John Palomy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, October 23rd, and this is the weekly market update. As usual, the disclaimer anything that you hear or see on this video or hear on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, I am not licensed to give you advice. I'm just a guy on the internet. Please take that into consideration please do your own due diligence. It's your money and it's your responsibility. Okay, before we get started, I just wanted to talk about a couple things before we get into the weekly news. This is going to be really energy heavy this week, Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, things are really starting to go our way, at least with oil prices. You know, I'm not gleefully rubbing my hands together because, you know, I think that oil is going to go over $100 a barrel, and I'm going to make all this money. A lot of people are going to suffer. You know, it was sad the other day, I was watching clips, I don't really have cable or a satellite dish, but I do see clips on Twitter and other social media. And they wheeled out Mr. Biden, and they were talking to him about high gasoline prices and inflation and these type of things. And it really struck me um, how clueless most politicians really are. I mean, I kind of knew this already. It's not a big revelation, but they really don't have a clue how the real world works. And uh, he was talking about people in the Middle East. Middle Easterners are trying to call him, and he's going to do this. He's not going to do anything. Oil's going over one hundred dollars a barrel. You know, unless we have some kind of like economic meltdown, the world's recovering, um, and not enough investment has has happened. And you know, we're going to be looking at very high energy prices for I think an extended period of time. Now we've positioned the portfolio for that and that's going to be to our benefit, but I don't wanna lose sight of the fact that, you know this is gonna hurt a lot of people. Uh, $5 gasoline already in California, um, natural gas prices uh, already you're seeing on the uh, news reports where they're telling people they can expect their winter heating costs to be 30 to 50% higher. People just don't have the money and I think it was gonna be blowback, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, we were talking about energy independence. We had, we were exporting energy. We were opening up new frontiers, millions of jobs have been created. It's really sad that, you know, we really have to get like a rational energy policy in this country. Um, Other people that we're competing with in the world are doing that. They're not just focusing on one type of energy, i.e. unreliables and then demonizing the fuel sources that have allowed the progress in the civilization that we take for granted. And if we don't prioritize a rational, real, well thought out and strategic energy policy, um, we're gonna be an also ran country. And it's just the, the current leadership that we have in this country, uh, and even the past regimes, they really don't have a clue. And um, it's unfortunate. Uh, just a reminder uh, that I appreciate the, the viewers. Uh, the channel continues to grow. I really um, am doing this because you guys are responding. I uh, appreciate the comments. We get a lot of comments, great comments. I really do take my commission seriously, you know, I sometimes feel a little bit guilty because I I do work a a regular job and do this and write the newsletter. And sometimes I feel like I don't put enough effort into the newsletter. I do put a lot of effort into it, but I'm almost to the point where I'm thinking about maybe taking this whole thing full time. I haven't decided yet, but I mean, if I could just do this full time, I'm thinking about how deep diving into the information I can go, how much better I could make the production quality of these things. So it's not a certainty yet, something I'm thinking about, but you know, The commission and the trust that people have given me, I mean, I've, people have written me letters or not letters, but emails or direct messages. And, um, you know, we've really affected some people's lives. We've got people to reconsider the way they think about things, um, about economics, about energy, about, uh, just life in general. We've had our, some of our picks in our newsletter create wealth for people that has Change their life in a positive way. And, you know, this is what I really wanted to do. I mean, anything worth doing is worth doing for a profit. Uh, I do believe that. That's why I don't just give my work away. Uh, I don't like the sleazy newsletter business and being a newsletter, if you will. Uh, I'm trying to be an information source for people. I'm trying to give people, people ask me, what do I get when you subscribe? Well, I'm not just printing out like some tip sheet at the horse track and you just pick these stocks and you don't have to do anything. I'm trying to impart knowledge and give you the benefit of the mistakes that I've made over the last 30 or 40 years of my investing career. You know, the greatest asset we have is time. And I wasted a lot because I didn't have the benefit of learning things from a mentor that could uh, give me a well-rounded education on uh, some of these things. And, you know, maybe sometimes that's just what it is. You have to go through it yourself and then develop your own style and you have to get those battle scars. I'm not sure. But I think that, you know, the advice that's given by many wise people, which I believe also at this stage of my life, it's better to learn hard lessons vicariously through other people's misfortune than um, experiencing it yourself. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach good investment practice, the difference between investing and speculating, Um, How to look at these things, how psychology plays into effect of this, how sediment, you know, how to control emotions. These are all very important things, maybe even more important or probably more important than actually picking the individual stocks. So, you know, we do, I do pump and pimp the newsletter in these videos. You know, the actionable intelligence alert newsletter has taken off. We've had really good returns. Uh, if you're interested, you can go into the show notes. There's a subscription uh, link there, uh, 12 issues a year, commentary. Uh, we now have a Discord channel where we have a lot of the subscribers interacting. We're getting a lot of good um, information there and exchanges. It gives me the ability not to have to wait a month to update you. If something happens with the company, positive, negative, whatever, You know, I can go on the Discord channel and let people know what's going on. I'm going to discuss it. And uh, you know, move quicker if you will. We don't have to you don't have to wait a month for an update. So I think that's going to be helpful. I think so far, so good on that. And I'm you know, I'm just willing to expand that. I'm thinking about maybe doing a webinar with subscribers and having some more interaction. Uh, I'm still thinking about whether or not I should do a live chat. So just things I'm thinking about. time is most of it, guys. I mean, I get up at five, I get home at five or six. Uh, This is a Friday night. I'm doing this so I can uh, have this thing ready to go for you first thing Saturday morning because I have to work on Saturday. So a lot of effort and work goes into this. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not looking for any sympathy or anything. I choose to do this, but uh, I do like doing this and I do appreciate the feedback. And uh, I feel like, you know, we really, we really are helping people. So I read every email people send me, good and bad, uh, the DMs. I try to respond uh, as best I can, but uh, I do feel, uh, like I said, a certain amount of responsibility because I know people are listening to me and people are um, considering the things I say and, and, and in some cases implementing it in their own life. So I think that that, like I said, is a tremendous trust and responsibility. So thank you for that. All right, enough self uh, patting myself on the back. Let's uh, get into the uh, news for this week. So, you know, the thesis that we've really been talking about since we've had this channel and the newsletter is, is you know, insufficient investment. Uh, well, really, the, the ability of the shale industry in the United States to suck up all the oxygen in the room and, and the capital and basically be the, the, you know, supplier, the gap supplier. You know, we took production in the US up to 13 million barrels. Um, It wasn't sustainable for many reasons. It was mostly financed with a lot of debt because of low interest rates. We've told that story before. You know, you couple that with what happened with the COVID uh, supply contraction, it just decimated the shale industry. And so we have this situation now where investment really hasn't been happening in the rest of the non-OPEC world. And as we're gonna show, it it seems like maybe OPEC uh, hasn't really been investing either. So now we're in a situation where you can see here the COVID stock builds, and then how we've been w- working that off. And we're you know we're down to crude onshore crude stocks are below the pre-pandemic levels, and they're plunging still. And uh, you know this is partially because you know OPEC plus Russia. Has restricted supply, even though they are opening it back up 400,000 barrels per day of production being added over the next three months, in addition to the 400,000 last month, I believe. And they're slowly bringing production back on, but demand is growing. That's the problem. Demand's coming back, and in many places, as was shown in another slide, it's exceeding pre pandemic levels. And now we're going to see even more uh, opening up of economies, growth in economies, India. Uh, you know, China's having the Evergrande issue and stuff, but you got to remember something: just because something isn't continuing to grow at six or eight percent a year, you still have this plateau of of demand, right? You know, when somebody trades in their bicycle for a scooter, and then trades in the scooter for a car, they don't just park the car in the garage. So you have this level of inelastic demand that's kind of created, right? And it doesn't just go away because the economy slows down. It takes a lot to really destroy supply. Um, or demand, I mean, demand for uh, these fuels. So you couple that with the fact that things are opening back up. Um, international air travel is getting ready to expand in another month or so. Uh, COVID is receding. I track it uh, on various websites. Uh, yes, they're trying to keep it in the news, but it is receding around the world. You're seeing a big outbreak in Russia, though. But uh, it is it is what it is, and it's going away. It's This is what typically happens with these things. And life is going to slowly but surely return it. The fact is we have this huge investment gap that we haven't made in energy. Uh, The gap is is very large. And now we're going to pay the piper for it. It's not going to be able to be fixed by Mr. Biden calling people in the Middle East or calling oil executives in the United States. I mean, he actually did that too, evidently. He was calling around and asking the oil executives that he was demonizing for the last You know, two years on the campaign trail or however long, and the first year of his administration uh, or telling people like that teenage girl when he told her that he promised her we were going to get rid of fossil fuels and then turn around and ask, you know, CEO of Oxy and these other companies to increase production, they're not going to do it. So he's in a pickle and uh, I don't want to get into the political side of that in this podcast or this video. But uh, 5 and $6 gasoline is not gonna be conducive to his long-term political prospects or the democratic parties for that matter. And we're not just seeing it here, it's all around the world, right? It's everywhere. And in many places it's a lot worse than in the United States. And uh, this is the same for coal and, and uh, natural gas and everything, just about every commodity you turn around. I, I keep, I was talking about that on a discord channel with some of the other members. You know, it's like every time you turn around, something new is like magnesium. Who even thinks about what is magnesium used for? Well, there's a shortage of that evidently now. So it's every time you turn around, it's like 10 and all these other things. Everything's making these all time highs and stuff. So it's like you can't kiss all the girls. Right. But uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And uh, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. Will there be pullbacks? Yes, there will be pullbacks. Will there be volatility? Yes, there'll be volatility. We saw that in uranium. You know, we had the big pullback after the run, the FOMO run, it pulled back, we're back up to those levels. I mean, the, this, the Sprott um, uh, situation is working exactly like we thought it would. So uh, we, are, we are now starting to reap the paper rewards. Remember, we got to actually sell these things to, to take the money off the table, but I think it's still too early to sell at this point. But this is one of our main uh, ideas here, right? And as long as this keeps going down, uh, this means prices for crude are going up. So one of the ideas that's out there that's gaining more traction, uh, Josh Young was talking about some uh, bison interests. He really got me on this and I'm just finding more and more news items, you know this, we've already seen, and I've talked about in previous videos, where certain OPEC countries, i.e. Nigeria, i.e. Algeria, i.e. Angola, are not, of course, Angola and Nigeria, were not able to meet their quotas. So they're just leaving money on the table, they're deliberately not pumping. No, they're not able to, they don't have the production capacity, because they haven't made the investments. And as we know, extractive industries decline over time. And so they're unable to meet their quota requirements. And so that's probably, you know, some people I've seen have said, well, that's not a problem because the Gulf states, uh, you know, UAE, Kuwait, Saudi will pick up the slack, but can they? Here was an article and I'll put a link to these articles in the show notes. Kuwait says drilling facilities work underway to reverse declining oil production capacity. Kuwait will be able to unlock some 500,000 barrels a day of potential output capacity in the next two years, the head of its state oil company said, seeking to allay concerns over the firm's own admission that its ability to pump crude had declined for this third straight year. So I think we could take Kuwait off the list of countries that are going to pick up the slack. In its latest annual report released earlier this month, Kuwait oil said its maximum sustainable production capacity had fallen to 2.579 million barrels a day as of March 31st, down five hundred and seventy-two thousand barrels from two thousand eighteen. So, if you don't put money back in to look for and develop new reserves, your production declines over time. Exxon talked about this, right? Um, this is one hundred and one petroleum geology. This is nothing. This is this is not unknown. And so, you wonder um, what's Saudi really got going on, right? What's, you know, the UAE they are supposed to pick up all the slack. And, uh, you know, we're going to be quite possibly in the first half of 2022, well over hundred million barrels a day. We're going to be back over to pre-pandemic levels of, of demand. And yet I don't think supply is going to be able to hit it. You know, we're looking at anywhere from two and a half to one and a half million barrels a day, daily declines of inventories, uh being drawn down and the idea is well OPEC's just doing that to get the price up um yeah i believe there's a certain amount of that but i think we're going to find out who hasn't been spending money on you know facilities and new reserves and developing new reserves we're already starting to see it like i said nigeria angola where else you know the united states our production is off in shale uh A lot of the big companies, publicly traded companies, have already said they're not going to go out and go nuts drilling. There are a lot of independents out there drilling, people we don't hear about. So, you know, there is activity out there. Uh, There are people that will commit money, but, you know, that's not going to turn production in the US around and and make it grow. Do, as I've said before, do I think that at some point in some price level that everybody will be throwing money at this? Yes. I think we're going to have a spike in oil prices. It's going to be like a big fireworks finale. And that'll be the time to hit the sell button. And then, you know, uh, prices will be sustained for some period of time. And eventually, they'll solve the problem. You know, high prices cure high prices, just like low prices cure low prices. Part of the problem is right now is that we're climbing a wall of worry, right? A lot of people don't believe that this oil price rally is sustainable or is real. And I'm seeing people even on Twitter, people that I follow, you um, you know, maybe we're wrong. We have one guy saying, you know, just wait a year from now. We're going to have a bus. We're going to be down at $25 a barrel. I, I, I don't see that. You know, anything's possible. And uh, But, you know, when you start putting time and price on a, on a prediction, that's a quick way to uh, get yourself um, ostracized very quickly, let's say. But the fact remains, we're seeing more and more information like this come out. Where all these people, you know, rushes in the same boat. You know, there's, there's, there's certain uh, views that Russia doesn't have the production capacity and that, you know, same with its natural gas and things don't need to, they only need to slip at the margin one or 2% and then you have a major problem. And that's what we're looking at. So, you know, now we're seeing the Iraqi oil minister, I think said last week that, you know, like a couple months ago, he said, well, $80 a barrel was probably too high. Now he's saying a hundred dollars a barrel is too high, but that's where we're going. So. Uh, you know, I don't say it's a straight line, but you know the demand's not going away as far as I can see at this point. And here is the issue, right? It's not just oil and gas and coal, it's everything. Here is a, I really like this uh, Crescat Capital. They put a lot of good charts out. Uh, so kudos to them and credit to them on this. But this is a year over year change and commodity producers CapEx cycle. Aggregate trilling 12 12-month um, USD millions. It's uh, commodity producers with market cap above 1 billion in the Canadian US stock exchanges. And look where we're at. We're down, you know, we're down at these low levels. We've been down here for a decade. I mean, we've been, you know, we had this little spurt after the um, 2008 financial crisis, and then we've been in decline. We had another little spurt, but you just see the money's not being invested. Yet the demand and the required uh, su- supply that has to be met and demand that has to be met uh, is growing over time, and we haven't made the necessary investments. It's really that simple, and it's across the board. And uh, I think that's what you know. I put it up here: lack of investment equals lack of supply. Uh, unless you know, if supply falls faster than demand, prices go up. You don't necessarily just need things to just grow forever either. If you have insufficient supply, and we've really screwed up the supply chains to boot, um, this is where we're at. And you have oil company after oil company saying they're not gonna go, their, their mandate is no longer go just drill baby drill. It's pay down debt, which is accretive to shareholders, buy back stock, which is accretive to shareholders, pay dividends, which is which is shareholder returns. This is what they're all about. Do I think at some point that changes? Yes, but not in the next couple quarters. The mandate is to return uh, money to shareholders. And we've seen executive after executive say there's just no appetite for, for shareholders to, from shareholders to just drill baby drill. Those days are over, at least for the near and midterm in my view. Here we go again. You know, crude inventories at Cushing, that's Oklahoma, stockpiles at the biggest U.S. oil depot are falling to critically low levels. The last time that happened, crude cost more than $100 a barrel. You know, I may have to subscribe to Bloomberg. I really don't want to because a lot of these articles I want to talk about are on Bloomberg. And then you only get to look at a couple a month free, then they hit you up to a subscribe. But uh, you get the gist here, right? Uh You know, this is where we're heading to $100 a barrel. We're not seeing this turnaround. We're in a shoulder season and we're still seeing draws, okay, in the uh, weekly reporting. And I'm not going to get into backwardation and these curves and stuff that's a little bit too complicated and beyond the scope of this. Suffice to say that uh, demand is exceeding supply and, and stockpiles are being drawn down. And that's the price signal that's being sent to the market saying, we need you to produce more oil. And they're saying they're not going to do it. At least that's what they're saying currently. And so here's a uh, CEO from a conference call uh, for precision drilling. They do drilling wells. And here's what, here's what he said, Kevin Nouveau. We believe the mantra of capital discipline and sustainable shareholder returns will continue to be a key strategic focus of our customers. His customers are oil and gas uh, companies because he drill, does the drilling for him. So what does he say? We believe the mantra of capital discipline and sustainable shareholder returns, that's buybacks and, and uh, dividends, will continue to be a key strategic focus of our customers. So you're seeing this more and more. There's just, they're just not going to go out and drill like they did before. At some point, I believe they will, but it'll be at much higher oil prices, and they'll have to be sustained for some significant period of time. In the wall of cash flow, you know, we're not... We're going to start seeing the earnings start coming out next week and into november with a lot of these smaller mid-cap canadian companies that i'm in and a lot of the other companies and i think people are going to be surprised you know we saw halliburton come out last week it was kind of a mixed message baker hughes came out and said things were improving but you know they, they their numbers weren't that good halliburton said things are definitely improving they gave good forward guidance so you're seeing it right even with the capital discipline, things are improving in the um, service sector, which is an area that I intend to move into further also in the newsletter. The the moves that we've seen in the oil companies haven't even reflected the current oil price and that oil services stocks are still flat on their back. They are like terrific bargains and they are eventually going to, they're they're going to be later in the cycle as the money starts flowing down from the high cash flows as uh, the companies and the national oil companies go out and rectify this um, declining supply issue. And uh, there's just tremendous values right now. I just saw Valeris last week just activated a drill ship for uh, Petrobras for a long-term contract. You don't spend you know, 20, 30, $40 million, whatever it's gonna cost to bring that ship out of, out of um, storage, do the retrofit, tow it to Brazil, or drive it to Brazil and then put it online for a 548-day contract, unless you think that your business is improving. And so, yeah, Petrobras will pick up some of that some of that cost, but the Valeros has to pick up some of that cost too. And that's not that's not an insignificant decision, in my view. These are the green shoots, if you will, of the recovery of the oil service sector. So here again, here's a uh, a note. Um, upstream integrates from the road. Let's see. Two days of marketing in Toronto featured a healthy amount of cross-border discussion on names and U.S. crude growth expectations, blah, blah, blah. With a clear focus on capital allocation in the Canadian upstream and integrates group, given sizable valuation discounts. But here's what I want to get to. With investors broadly paying little for growth in the space, and for and free cash flow to EVs largely in the twenty to twenty-five percent range. Our Canadian coverage universe investor preference for a greater clarity and emphasis on accelerating buybacks more than five percent standard normal course issue bid levels. That means buy back more than five percent of your shares during your uh, uh, announced uh, non um, your bid. And base dividend growth under defined capital allocation frameworks as a starting point in closing valuation gaps is clear. So this is what we've been talking about. This is what Eric Nuttall's been talking about. It's happening now. It's picking up momentum. We're seeing more and more announcements. Shareholders want buybacks and dividends. They want companies to come out and say, we're going to devote this much to buybacks, this much to dividends, and, uh, you know, start getting on the board. And when those announcements come, I believe you're gonna see the re-ratings. And if they don't, they'll just keep buying back their shares until they become valued again. Um, like I said, I think if you're not in energy and you're, you're a portfolio manager, you're gonna underperform tremendously. And um, I think you're gonna, that's where a lot of the volatility is gonna come. I think you're gonna see people moving in during the quarter and then flushing them at the end of the quarter so they don't have it on their books. So we will see, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this could lend itself to some opportunities, too. You know, you probably wouldn't want to be buying at the end of the quarter because that's when people are going to be flushing the names to get them off their uh, list uh, after, you know, riding them for the majority of the quarter. That would be something to take a look at. So here's another article. China wants to cool coal prices. Similar moves for metals and crude failed. This is, uh, if you remember, we talked about this maybe a month or two ago. China was going to release copper and oil from its um, from its uh, strategic stocks to cool the price. That might work in the short term, but then you've depleted your stocks. You have to rebuy. So it didn't work before, right? China's latest attempt to lower runaway commodity prices, this time for thermal coal, is likely to follow a familiar pattern of initial success followed by failure. And we have seen coal prices kind of get dinged a little bit, and. The companies took a uh, hit, Uh, BTU, for example. I've got a lot of, but it's been pretty volatile regardless. Anyway, so far this year, Beijing has acted to cool prices for metals such as copper, aluminum, zinc, and iron ore, and for energy products such as crude oil and now coal. Each intervention has met with some success at first, but over time, prices have reverted to their prior upward trends. And, uh, you know... uh, unless you know we have this big output you know huge output in coal which i think you probably see eventually it's just like you will see for every commodity but i've i've seen you know issues you know a lot of the north american producers are unable to increase production it's not easy just to just turn this stuff back on and you're reluctant to do it if you think it's just transitory if you will okay And uh, if you're telling everybody this is transitory and people are fearful, right? You're coming out of a bear market. A lot of these companies went through bankruptcy. Managements are skittish. They're not just going to run out there and just say, okay, we're going to open up another long wall in our coal mine. We're not going to go ahead and build another, you know, washing plant for our coal. Uh, We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They want to see some certainty. And I think, you know, we've seen already, like I said earlier in this video, the same thing coming from a lot of the oil companies. They're just not going. And then you pile on the ESG, Nonsense and the demonization. I mean, why would you do that? And how would you even explain that to the board of directors? So, um, I think the same thing is going to happen here. We see some, you know, a winner is going to play a big deal in this. I think too, and I think it's really going to bring home to the masses, you know, mostly us investors and speculators that are seeing this and forecasting this. But I think the average person is going to see this, um, and uh, you know, John Q. Public is not going to be happy. So here's what we talked about earlier. Uh, here's a tweet: Petroleum minister in India says gasoline consumption in India is today already 15% above pre-pandemic levels, and diesel 6 to 10% above pre-COVID levels. So the economy's bounced back tremendously in India, uh, many places, and you need energy to have a growing economy. To have growing economic activity requires energy. Energy inserts itself into everything we do. As we've talked about before, it's a, you know, it holds back chaos. It reverses entropy temporarily. So it helps us battle entropy and chaos. So um, you're not going to have less energy demand unless you have a lower standard of living and less of everything. And people certainly don't want that. So here we are. I mean, this is why oil demand is going higher. This is why stocks are being drawn down. This is why the price is going up. And this isn't helpful, right? We keep, this is why I keep putting these things on here. I don't cherry pick this, but I'm just seeing so many stories like this, right? Exxon debates abandoning some of its biggest oil and gas projects. Some Dow Jones off of Bloomberg, Exxon Mobil's remade board of directors. You remember they had that uh, uh, activist board that got uh, the backing of like uh, BlackRock or whatever, some other big uh, private equity or hedge funds. and got a seat on the board and it was, Going to get Exxon to get away from its core business. I mean, what kind of activist is this? An activist usually comes on and tries to get the company to be more profitable or get rid of the old management that's holding back the company. These guys evidently have gotten on there to destroy the company and make it go away from its core competency, which is producing oil and natural gas and petrochemicals at a reasonable cost uh, uh, for society. So ExxonMobil Corp's remade board of directors is debating whether to continue with several major oil and gas projects as the company reconsiders its investment strategy in a fast changing energy landscape, according to people familiar with the matter. So we'll have to keep an eye on this, right? We've talked about it. We've seen more of this infecting a lot of the Western thinking, uh, especially in the US and Western Europe, this nonsensical idea of fairyland, tales of, you know, clean, green energy and, you know, no externalities and everything's, you know, rainbows and lollipops. And, uh, you know, we, we, if nobody's drilling for oil and natural gas, which it appears that's the case or hasn't been, and we really haven't made the transition yet to uh, rebuildables, i.e. renewables, whatever you want to call them, then we got a big problem getting ready to happen, and that's what we're talking about. We're, it's happening. We're in an energy crisis, and we're just seeing. I'm not cherry picking this stuff. is This stuff is all over the place. This kind of news. And so, I want to finish up today with uranium. I think uranium is just a tremendous story. Do I think it's too late to get in? No. It would have been better to get in a year or two ago when you could have bought the things for a lot, you know, ninety percent less in many cases what they are now. But I just don't. I just don't think people realize what's happening here. I mean, we have, you know, a year ago. I remember two or three years ago when I was doing started this series of videos. I would talk about in the abstract, you know, the supply demand dynamics and you know uh, the industry being in liquidation and you know nothing ever happened. Right, the price just stayed there. The stocks didn't do anything. And I think people, you know, would say, okay, well, I agree with it, but you know, no one's going to sit there and buy you know, stock in a a uranium developer or, you know, it just sits there and does nothing for two or three years. Most people won't do it, but I think we're getting paid off now. And we just have more and more positive information. You know, you have the Sprott, um, the Sprott Trust sucking up pounds every day or every other day, whatever it is, you're just taking tremendous amounts of uh, material off the market. And now you have an announcement by Cavs Adamprom, which is the, uh, Kazakhstan's national atomic company, announces it's gonna start an investment, uh, physical uranium fund. And so you've seen, you know, various companies buying uranium. Um, you've seen all kinds of discussion about new demand, Japanese restarts, recommitment to nuclear, France is recommitting to nuclear. Um, the United States is talking about it. You know, we've, we've extended the life of plants. We've saved the Byron and uh, Dresden plants in Illinois. Um, And I just think, you know, I think what's really going to, you know, crystallize this thing, you know, you had a situation in the EU where 10 of the countries in the block have said they want the nuclear power to be included in the renewable lexicon or whatever. And so you're just seeing it move that way, right? There's no choice. Um, And I just think that uh, we may even be underestimating how big this thing could end up being. Um, I don't like to talk like that, you know, rainbows and lollipops and get too crazy talk, but you know, uh, this thing could really take off and more and more money's coming into it. And like I said, you know, you get into that flywheel effect where money comes in, I'm talking about bigger money. It comes in, it drives the price higher that generates more interest that generates more funds coming in, which generates more interest. the thing just keeps snowballing like an avalanche. And so this is, you know, you know, Kaz Atomprom, I think we've pretty much expunged the idea out of most people's heads that, you know, this just used to be the, um, the boogeyman a couple of years ago. Well, if the price of uranium goes to $40 a pound, Kaz Adamprom is just gonna come in and flood the market. And as I explained many times, which and I think should be clear by now, um, Kaz Adamprom is not an old Soviet state company anymore that just tries to produce to meet the five-year plan uh, to increase production every year for the sake of meeting the plan. It's a company that realizes that it's managing a national crown jewel. It understands that it's in the cuckoo bird seat. And it can be a price setter. And it probably has more information about the uranium market and the nuclear fuel market than, than most other people besides Cameco. And so why wouldn't they manage this to, to a maximum benefit of the uh, the the joint stock company, and the the Kazakh national government and state. And that's what they're doing. Uh, They set up the trading arm a few years ago, and now they're setting up this physical uranium fund and seeding it. So what's the article say? This is straight off the Kaz Adam Prom website. Kaz Adam Prom is pleased to announce that its board of directors has passed a resolution to participate in a physical uranium fund, ANU Energy Ltd. The fund will hold physical uranium as a long-term investment with its initial purchases financed through the Founders Round investment totaling $50 million, sourced from KazAtomprom, National Investment Corporation of the National Bank of Kazakhstan, and Genshai Global Limited at 3%. Once the fund is operating, a second stage of development is expected to be carried out through an additional public or private offering with the timing and details to be determined by market conditions. At the second stage, the fund is expected to raise capital of up to $500 million from institutional and or private investors, with the proceeds to be used for additional uranium purchases. This is a quote uh, from the company. The establishment of ANU Energy is a project that has been in development for almost four years as part of CAS Prom's broader value-focused strategy. Not meeting the five-year plan to just increase production, a broader value-focused strategy that has been in development for four years. See, this is, the, the mindset has changed there. And the fund will be operating in an environment of tightening supply, driving positive benefits for its stakeholders. So, you know, they realize how small the market is. They realize they have a big control of it. And so why not create another vehicle to help benefit and keep get the price up and keep it up for some period? Okay, so... This is, uh, this is a really tremendous, you know, I think uh, possibilities. And like I said, it's just one more piece of positive news. I mean, people say you have the wind in your sails. There's like a freaking hurricane in our sails with all the good news that's happening. So I'm really positive on uranium. I'm just sitting back now. You know, like I said, if you're a real, want to just be straight uranium, you know, I, I, I don't subscribe to it. I probably should, but I've heard good things. About, you know, I know Justin Hune. I've interviewed him many times. Um, uh, he knows what he's talking about. A lot of people have spoken very highly of his newsletter. If you want to be like Mr. Uranium, that's where to go to in my, in, in my view for the retail investor, I have uranium things in my companies in my portfolio. They've done very well. Uh, but I just don't have the time and, and the focus that he has to to cover that niche and, um, or niche. So uh, shout out to him on that. Uh, check it out. Uh, But, you know, I'm a generalist investor and I buy things that are cheap and out of favor that I think have a catalyst to go from horrible to less horrible. And that can lead to tremendous revaluations and has and will continue to. So that's what I do. You're going to get from me anywhere from emerging market companies to oil companies to copper companies to gold stocks to, you know, Uzbekistan, all kinds of stuff. If it's cheap and it's down 90%, I'm going to at least look at it. I'm very eclectic i'll buy anything if it's cheap enough and i think it has a catalyst to turn around that's my uh that's my whole deal and uh what am i looking at now you know i think cannabis stocks have been tremendously you know beat up i don't think they're low enough now to buy i think but uh you know that's going to be a tremendous market too. the initial it's like every other market like internet stocks and something like that they had this big tremendous thing a couple of years ago everybody was in them There was a lot of hokey companies And then what happens, you know, you have a bubble, it bursts, all the has-beens, wannabes go away, and at some point you distill it down to what the real companies are going to be, and then this thing uh, recovers. And, you know, after a big crash like that, you get valuations that are really being um, uh, created. And, uh, you know... What is another thing I'm, in, I'm looking at? Well, I'm looking at different countries and their demographics and their housing markets and how under house places like Mexico are and how you can take advantage of that, or maybe a bank, banks that have recovered in Europe that have finally got a lot of their non-performing loans off their balance sheet. There's there's opportunities all over the world, and uh, you know we're looking to uh, turn a dollar into ten dollars, not ten into eleven. All right, guys. That's it for this week. Uh, appreciate the, uh, I think that's the last slide. Yeah, uh, appreciate the, the continued uh, viewership. Um, I'm working on a lot of different things as time allows and uh, maybe they'll get rid of me because I won't take the vaccine. I'll end up having to do this full time by necessity and then we'll, we'll see what can really happen. But so far so good. Uh, and uh, just appreciate you guys tremendously and uh, look forward to talking to you each week. Take it easy and we'll talk to you next week.